0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Chicago Bears march into Mile High Stadium and come out with a win and a wild and crazy finish that's sure to be remembered for quite some time. I go through the game talking highlights, lowlights, and everything in between on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, Bears fans, and welcome to this episode of Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on this... The Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network, where folks like me, Lester Wilfong, now Bill Zimmerman, EJ Snyder, and Jeff Berkus are all working hard to bring you the best content that we possibly can on a week-to-week basis. And with me drawing post-game wrap-up duties, that means it's my job right now to go through this Bears game and try to process exactly what happened, what can we take away from it, what went well, what went poorly, and what should we expect going forward. It's a lot to get to, so let's not waste any time. We'll jump in right now and start talking everything to do about this game. So this was a weird one, very reminiscent as many Bears fans said before the game and now say after to last year's loss to Miami in that the defense, especially in the second half, started to succumb to weather conditions that just aren't likely to be repeated throughout the rest of the season. Remember, going into the half, the Bears had allowed three points, and not a whole lot of wiggle room for the struggling Broncos offense. But then, starting in that second half, even just in the third quarter, the Bears secondary started to allow a little bit more room, not only in the short passing game, but also in terms of deep completions. And then in the fourth quarter, the wheels fell off, and there's not really a lot to say otherwise, given that the Broncos were able to put up three drives that gained massive yardage. One resulting in a touchdown, one resulting in a field goal, and one resulting in a Kyle Fuller interception that realistically kept the game in check, so thank heavens he made that play, or we might not be talking about a win at all. Obviously it's going to be a simplistic thing to say, and it might very well sound like an excuse, but I mean it when I say that this Bears defense clearly got tired, they got affected by the altitude, and that shouldn't happen throughout the rest of the season because we won't be playing any more games at mile high. Regardless, out of absolutely nowhere, it was the offense that saved the day, because after Vic Fangio made the gutsy call, and frankly the right one, to go for two on the one-yard line and put the Broncos up 14-13, Mitchell Trubisky and the rest of the offense, with the help of a roughing the passer call that's, let's say, a little bit dicey, leapt down the field off the back of a huge throw to Allen Robinson for 25 yards as Eddie Pinheiro knocked in a 53-yard field goal to send the Bears back to 1-1 and and help the Bears avoid that 0-2 hole that, statistically speaking, only 10% of teams make it out of. This win was ugly. It was exactly what a lot of people at Windy City Gridiron predicted, but either way, it was much, much needed. For anybody who wanted a flashier, glitzier win... Let's remember that since the NFL merger, the Broncos are an astounding 49-8-2 in home games in the first two weeks of the season. That is now 49-9-2 thanks to the Chicago Bears. Now what's funny to me about this win is that of course what people want to talk about is they want to talk about the offense because Matt Nagy brought in last year as an offensive mastermind that was gonna take the Bears offense into the 21st century, seemed to call a game plan very reminiscent of former Bears head coach John Fox. For those who don't believe me when I say that it looked a lot like John Fox, let me go ahead and give you the numbers. So the Chicago Bears ran the ball 29 times and threw it technically 27. And you're gonna hear me say technically because when I went back, watched the tape, and charted every one of Trubisky's snaps play for play, I realized that he also threw the ball at or near the line of scrimmage about 12 times, meaning that between the runs and the throws at the line of scrimmage, the Bears allowed a playmaker to take the ball and run with it 41 times compared to 17 chances for Trubisky to drop back and truly pass. That's definitely still out of balance. I mean, 41 plays in the running variety to the 17 drop back passes is definitely still out of balance. But what's curious to me is that it is a total reversal from what Nagy was last week. And it tells me that, and I don't want to speculate too much here, Matt Nagy's faith in Mitchell Trubisky might be waning a little bit. This game seemed to suggest that Matt Nagy looked at Trubisky and said, hey bud, You aren't going to lose us this game. We're going to make sure you don't lose us this game. We're going to follow a very specific, safe game plan. And, yes, Bears fans, this is shocking. Call it fairly conservatively. Because yes, while David Montgomery did earn the lion's share of touches, which was requested by most Bears fans, let's remember Tariq Cohen, Mike Davis, Cordero Patterson, and even Trubisky himself also got in on the running action more often than not effectively, except for Mike Davis, who touched the ball three times for, I believe, one yard. Davis did not look good carrying the ball, and who knows, maybe that'll officially relegate him to the backup spot. But more than anything about this game, what ultimately interested me was fans' response, because they came out in force to criticize Nagy for a terribly called game. And I find that interesting, because this was exactly the game plan Bears fans were looking for. We got a lot more play action. We got a ton more running the football we ended up grinding out those points. I mean, remember, the only Bears touchdown that we actually saw today came on a drive that featured exactly one passing play, and in that passing play, Trubisky dropped back, looked to his right, Robinson got held, so he looked back to his left, threw to Burton, and that ball glanced off a defender's shoulder and fell incomplete. Now, thankfully, the Bears got the holding goal, and David Montgomery was able to make a Herculean effort to reach that ball into the end zone and effectively will the bears onto the scoreboard but outside of that drive Matt Nagy seemed to display very little faith of Mitchell Trubisky and Mitchell Trubisky seemed to make very little of what downfield chances he did have throughout the game. Again, I'll refer to the data that I was charting only just a few hours ago myself, where I looked at how far Trubisky was aiming to throw the ball, as well as the success rate or failure rate of any of those throws. And interestingly enough, outside of the 25-yard dart that Trubisky did throw at the end of the game, he was 0-7 for on any throw that traveled 10 yards or more downfield. That's not very good. And certainly one of them, the throw that he had to Taylor Gabriel where Taylor Gabriel settled into that soft spot of the Broncos zone before Trubisky airmailed him thinking that he would continue running to ultimately get blasted by the safety, was a particularly bad example of one of these missed chances. Certainly not all of them were intended to be caught, I mean, I think. That final bomb he had to Robinson, I still can't really tell whether he was actually throwing it to Robinson or whether he was just launching it really far downfield to get the ball out of his hands, but... All that notwithstanding, Trubisky did not throw downfield well, and most of his best work came from inside of that 10-yard marker and behind or at the line of scrimmage. To give you a couple of numbers that I was able to draw up, if we take out those line of scrimmage throws, Mitchell Trubisky's stats for the afternoon become 8-for-17 for 77 yards and a passer rating of 60.12. Now, that includes that late second half throw to Ben Bronicker that might as well have been 15 yards of stat batting. So if you take that out, you end up with 7 for 16 and a passer rating of 54.69. Now, look. I'm not suggesting that those should be the numbers that we measure Trubisky by. I just want to provide you, the fan, with as much data as possible in what is likely to be a raucous debate among the Bears community of was this Nagy's fault, was this Trubisky's fault, who is the big problem here. But let's be honest, Bears fans, we don't want to be negative right now. The Bears just did something amazing in that they were able to drive back and take the game away from the Broncos, steal victory from the jaws of defeat, even when it's often the other way around for our team, unfortunately. So simply put, I just don't want to be too negative. To talk positives on offense, defense, and special teams, offensively, I thought David Montgomery and Cordero Patterson looked really, really good, and I liked a lot of the looks Nagy threw out, where, for instance, on one particular play that I thought might have been Nagy's best play call of the evening... He lined Patterson up in the backfield, only two plays after Patterson had just raced down the left sideline for some 40, 50-yard gainer, and kicked him off to the right side of Trubisky. So think, like, slightly back behind Trubisky and off to the right. He also put two tight ends on that right-hand side, so naturally, a whole lot of the Broncos' attention was diverted to that left-hand side, the the Broncos' left, the Bears' right-hand side of the line. But when the snap came back to Trubisky, Trubisky handed the ball off to Gabriel, who reversed the other direction, had plenty of space, and picked up a really cool 14 yards, taking the Bears from roughly the 20-yard line to roughly the 6-yard line. It was a great call, and I loved seeing the way that Nagy mixed up the running game and effectively forced Vic Fangio into playing the shell game with who's going to get the ball. Is it going to be Patterson, or is it going to be Gabriel? Frankly, I'd like to see Nagy expound on this, because I think he did it really well in things like Week 2's game against the Seahawks last year, but who knows, maybe there's a reason that Nagy only pulls these things out every once in a while, and ultimately, I'm just excited to see him a little bit more committed to the run. I ultimately do think it helped Trubisky a lot as he didn't have near as many close calls or interceptable throws and the Bears were able to squeak out that 16-14 victory in part, I think, because the Bears kept pounding the ball. Ultimately, this plan wasn't without its flaws, as especially late in the game, the Bears' offensive line didn't seem to be able to help out running back David Montgomery much, and the Bears actually ended up behind the chains often because of their commitment to running the football, but hopefully over the coming weeks, Naga will be able to get that straightened out. It certainly looked today like much of that running attack had been put in fairly recently, so... Hopefully that side of the offense will see some growth throughout the season. Certainly next week's game against the Redskins is a great opportunity to tune that up. On the defensive side of the ball, I thought that everything that Chuck Pagano did in terms of dialing up pressure seemed to work like a charm. All throughout the game, it seemed as if Pagano's pressure would get home exactly as planned, and certainly because the end of the game is fresh on my mind, I'll point out the different nickel blitzes that they were able to bring Buster screen on and consistently cause havoc on a Joe Flacco, who was, to be super fair to Flacco, getting the ball out very, very crisply and cleanly, even in the face of pressure. Pagano seemed to harass Flacco as much as he could and make his day as hard as possible, very reminiscent to what the Bears were able to do last week on Aaron Rodgers, which I still don't think the Bears defense has gotten quite enough credit for. The coverage units, while ultimately not allowing a ton of points, seem to get worse and worse and worse throughout the game, which, of course, we can chalk that up to altitude because, frankly, it makes a lot of logical sense, but I was a bit confused from time to time why Pagano and the rest of the coverage units seemed to be so content to sit back and allow those short underneath catches, especially when you had plays early on with guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Philip Lindsay getting way more yards than intended because they were able to catch those short balls and run with them pick up speed, break a tackle, you know how it goes. Regardless, I'll again mention that going into the second half, the Bears were pitching as close to a clean sheet as they could, with the Broncos only having amassed one field goal, three points, before things got wild and crazy in that fourth quarter, where again, they allowed 11, and Kyle Fuller came up with what is doubtlessly the defensive play of the game. This could sound a bit unusual, but I actually felt a little bit bad for Flacco on that fuller interception because it was one of his rare mistakes of the day. Bears fans, if you're like me, I thought Joe Flacco was going to ultimately play much worse than he did against this Bears team, where he threw for about 290-some-odd yards, and he earned every single one of them. He kept dinking and dunking. He stayed tight when he needed to. He delivered some very, very solid balls to running receivers against a Bears defense that was going to take his lunch money if he let it, and they sure tried to. Regardless of how often different Bears players seem to be a touch off their game certainly that play early on I I believe it was a third down situation even when Khalil Mack ran around the edge got his arms on Joe Flacco and seemed to just lose control of him as Flacco escaped and was able to convert the first down Flacco played hard and he gave the Bears everything that he could all the way up until the bitter end. So from a player perspective and from trying to earn it, it, I, it almost broke my heart a little bit that Joe Flacco then made that mistake, overthrew his receiver on the goal line, and it ended up in Kyle Fuller's hands. But as I'm sure you can guess, the Bears fan inside of me was completely comfortable capitalizing off of his error. Certainly one of the defensive storylines that grabbed my attention, and you'll get that pun in a little bit, was how often Khalil Mack was able to draw holds on his lineman number 72. Now, I bring up his number 72 because it was a bit cursed. The Bears 72, Charles Leno certainly also drew two penalties, another holding call and another hands to the face, which interestingly enough is exactly what he did last week. So that leaves Leno with four penalties in only two games, one of each, holding and hands to the face. So that might be something to monitor, but Mac got more holding calls than I have ever seen him get. A lot of people are saying he got four. He didn't. He got 3. Because one of them came on that lineman while he was holding Isaiah Irving against the run. But regardless, Mac drew three holds. That really helps out your defense and is ultimately what you pay the guy for. Really helps Mac out too because it seems as if he's the kind of guy that gets held on pretty much every play or close to it. So it was nice to see the officiating bounce his way. Between Pagano's timing of different creative blitzes, even occasionally just sending that old-school kitchen sink blitz that whether it works or not is always a treat to watch, Pagano and this Bears defense look like they are absolutely, without a doubt, unquestionably ready to roll throughout this season, and I'm very excited to see what they do from here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. One other defensive storyline, though, that I do want to note before I move on is the difference between Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller. Now that might sound a bit odd, considering that I'm directly comparing a free safety and an NFL cornerback, but I want to point out a very unusual difference between the two. Kyle Fuller seems to get thrown at a lot, whereas Eddie Jackson recently seems to get thrown at as few times as an opposing quarterback possibly can. Eddie Jackson has become somebody that needs to be avoided, whereas Kyle Fuller, for as long as he's been a bear, has always been somebody who I see getting attacked all the time. Now, this obviously will result in a lot of interceptions, and he picked up another one today. And if you think about 2018, it certainly resulted in a lot of interceptions then and was a big part of why he went to the Pro Bowl. But what I'm interested to watch as this season progresses is, is Kyle going to get... Good enough in coverage to where people stop feeding the ball to his receivers or is he going to end up continuing to allow many of the yards underneath that he's often made a name for certainly i don't say this to overreact to a week two game against an opponent like the broncos that is known for winning these games in early september i bring it up because this has been a consistent issue with fuller going back even to the playoff game and i could find more examples but let's just talk that one where Kyle Fuller, who was covering Alshon Jeffrey for most of the game, allowed Jeffrey 80 yards off of him, and that's not exactly what you want out of your Pro Bowl corner. Again, I'm not trying to call the guy bad. He earned his Pro Bowl not more than fairly, but I am curious to see whether Fuller's issues with Emmanuel Sanders are going to carry on to other teams. Certainly, I hope that Fuller's able to lock down that side and force the ball somewhere else so that guys like Prince Abukamura and Eddie Jackson, who is not getting thrown at right now, are going to be able to make plays in the secondary. The pass rush should help, and Pagano certainly seems like he's doing a good job so far. And finally, come on, Bears fans, you knew this was coming. I want to talk about special teams and how both guys who kick footballs today looked great. I want to start with the less obvious one, Pat O'Donnell, who seemed to punt his butt off. It may very well have been the altitude, helping those balls fly further and further and further. But at one point, Pat O'Donnell kicked a 61-yard punt, which was very, very helpful to the Bears, considering that they'd just lost 11 yards on the plays prior. That was back when Cohen took that screen way too far backwards, uh, trying to take the uh, the ball to the other side. did not work, and Pat O'Donnell was able to help flip the field with a 61-yard punt that then also had a penalty called on it and drew the Broncos even further backwards. He also kicked a ridiculous, outstanding 75-yard punt at one point that planted the ball on the Broncos' three. In general, Pat O'Donnell was on fire today and punted five punts for a net average of 57.4 yards. That is a very, very good day, contextually speaking, for a punter, and he looked like a man that deserved to be extended. So kudos to you, Pat O'Donnell considering that we played a 16 to 14 football game that was very very helpful and if you thought we were going to go through this review show without talking about Eddie Pinheiro you were wrong Pinheiro came into the Denver game this week having only kicked one kick in a Bears uniform that actually counted in a regular season game a 38-yard boot against the Packers, and he couldn't have been more clutch today, not only hitting the 40-yard field goal that tied the game for the Bears and the go-ahead 51-yarder, which ironically enough is exactly the distance he was not allowed to kick when the Bears went for it on 4th and 10 last week, but of course, as you know, when Trubisky planted that throw to Robinson on the field with one second remaining and a 53-yard field goal standing in the way of the Bears losing 13-14 13-14 to 14 in a heartbreaking, potentially backbreaking game for the season. It was Eddie Pinheiro that stared down what he had to do and kicked that ball super hard right through the uprights. Literally everything that you could ask for as a Bears fan from your kicker. That was awesome. It totally validated all of the intensity that Pinero's had about his position because in case you don't know, Bears fan, Khalil Mack is consistently one of the first people out on the field. He will often get out to warm up and stretch about three hours, a ridiculous three hours before the game because he takes his craft intensely and seriously. Today, out at Denver, he was also joined by one other player, Eddie Pinheiro who was out there warming up and doing the best he could to prep for his game. And oh boy, did that pay off. This kick was huge. And should the Bears make a playoff run, which I certainly hope they do, but if they do, they're going to have to figure out whatever's going on with this offense thing. They're going to need a quality kicker. A quality kicker makes a huge difference. I'm a firm believer that the biggest reason the Rams made the Super Bowl, besides that rotten DPI call, was Greg Zerline. So hopefully Eddie Pinheiro can come through and be that stalwart back there at the kicking position that gives the Bears a chance on almost any field goal range with the game on the line. I can't speak enough about this kick, though I certainly hope that it doesn't make it sound like I'm trying to diminish what Trubisky did, because Trubisky even had the wherewithal, after dancing around in the pocket a little bit, to throw that ball as fast as he could to Robinson so that Robinson would go down, which... Interestingly enough, Bears fan, if you want to think about something crazy, all Chris Harris had to do to win the game was not down Robinson for a couple of seconds to make sure that clock went off. I understand that that is a total judgment call, and it's not something that you should fault Harris for, but Harris immediately downing Robinson with second clearly on the clock did a major favor for a Bears team that needed that chance to win, and then Pinheiro came out and did it. Major kudos to Pinheiro and suddenly, out of absolutely nowhere, the crazy, kooky, wonky, wacky, batty kicking competition that the Bears put all these guys through looks like it might have yielded the guy for only a conditional 7th round pick should Pinheiro remain on the roster for two more games and I'm just going to go ahead and assume that that pick is as good as gone. This kicking competition was wild, but lo and behold, with this 51-yard, 53-yard, and 40-yard performance, the Bears may have found their kicker, and altitude or not, this kick was huge, and we could not have asked for more. That's all I got for you today, Bears fans. Thank you so much for tuning into this show, and on whatever platform you're listening to, be it iTunes, Spotify, or whatever, be sure to hit us with a five-star rating, because that really helps us grow the podcast brand. Be sure to stick around throughout the rest of the week, too, as other shows like Bears Over Beers, hosted by EJ Snyder and Jeff Burkus, T-Formation Conversation by Lester Wiltfong Jr., and Bears Banter, the new one from Bill Zimmerman, will be going over plenty more topics, and you'll hear much more preview about the upcoming game against the Redskins, a Monday night game that, <laughs> let's just say I am, uh, I'll just say excited to do the podcast late, late, late that night. And of course, if you like what I have to say, be sure to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's at R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, where more often than not, when I'm not on a plane, which is what was going on in this last game, I'm tweeting out plenty of thoughts about the Bears all throughout the week. Ideally, that's where you get my first link to whatever video I'm going to do this week, which I'm still working up a concept for. And of course, you'll get what I think of the Bears games as the Bears games are going on. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me.